so surprised that we didn't make it to a race this season. Yeah, I really thought we were going to end up um, spending a lot of money on being somewhere. Especially, if you, I really thought we were going to end up at Coda or any of the U.S. races. It's just, I'm baffled that any of them we ended up not going to. You were right in the middle of moving chaos, but I think the one we were the closest to pulling the trigger on was Miami. I think we were like right there in like being like, let's go to Miami. And there is a stage there where we could get like pretty cheap tickets and it was gonna happen. But can't I never the- felt like the Vegas tickets came down enough for us to like seriously pull that trigger. Mm-mm. Not fast enough and not enough in general. So hopefully. Hope for next year. All right. This is our final of three season wrap-ups. And this is going to be everything about attendance, popularity, pop culture, sponsorship, money, like everything that is the circus around the circus. We're going to do a season wrap-up for today. Uh, Nicole has an epic gossip grid where she is going to recap all of her favorite pop culture moments of the entire season. We're going to talk about F1 attendance at races. And while we didn't end up at a race this year, so many people did. So what races performed really well with attendance? What races are we skeptical about their numbers? And which ones have some improvement to make next year and why? We're going to talk about F1 popularity in America. While a lot of people think the popularity is going down, we're going to look at some numbers and determine how much is that the case overall. Coverage of F1 really shifted this year. Uh, There are so many new initiatives that were set up to cover F1 differently than ever before, including F1 Juniors. We're really going to rave a lot about F1 Juniors. But we're going to talk about everything that changed in the media landscape of covering F1 in 2023. And last but definitely not least, we are marketing obsessed. So we have to give you two final podiums of the year, basically of our favorite sponsorship and partnership moments of the season. There were some big highs and things that were incredible and we can't wait to talk about. That wraps up the Formation Lab for episode 49 of Gridwalk, a weekly Formula One podcast that believes there are fascinating stories to discuss across the entire F1 grid. That, we've been recording for a long time today. Can you tell everyone listening and watching? (laughs) Even though this is the first segment of this episode, it's not the first one we recorded today. I promise you that. Uh, We will still be releasing weekly episodes through the entire F1 off season. So make sure you stay subscribed and follow us in order to Keep the F1 fix going, even though there's no cars on track for a couple months. Speaking of, if you're watching on YouTube, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Leave us a comment down below with what your favorite off-track moment of the season is. Also, if you're listening on an audio platform, please hit the follow button, turn on auto downloads, and leave us a review. We ask for all of these things, and everyone else who does a podcast asks for all these things because it really, really helps us in the algorithm. Last but not least, this isn't the only season review that we are working on. If you follow us on Instagram or YouTube Shorts, we're doing 23 podiums to wrap up the 2023 season every single day, posting some kind of fun thing wrapping up the year. So make sure you go check that out. If you do one or all of these things, thank you so much. It really helps support us. Cool ground, our wind up on the grid. It's lights out and away we go on this week's grid walk. People went to F1 races, even though it wasn't us. And... (laughs) 
it's not fair um, because I want to go. And it's not yeah. fair that all these people got to go and we didn't go. It's that meme that's like, I'm gl- like glad something could happen to you, but it should have happened to me instead. Yes, that's exactly how I feel every time we're talking about F1 attendance. Yeah. Like, wow, look at all these yeah. people and numbers, and it's so great. and that, that, that. But it's not me this time. And last right. year, it was like, wow, look at Coda and look at all this stuff. And we were part of that, and now we yeah. weren't. Hmm. I know, 2024 go- goal is like, get back to a racetrack, please. Mm-hmm. Please. Uh-huh. But we thought a good way to wrap up, one of the good ways to wrap up overall interest in F1 this year is to take a look at some attendance numbers. Um, So I have grouped attendance into a bunch of different groups and categorized them and like, what races had great attendance this year? What races had subpar attendance this year? And then I'll finalize all of it with uh, some fun podiums as well. Um, Caveats to this data, all this data is self-reported. So we just kind of need to go with and believe that, you know, if the Miami GP says this is how many people attended, that's how many people attended. Cool. There's a couple races as well that just didn't give us numbers, but we'll get to those. So overall, attendance, most races, attendance was up this year. Like every time F1 said that, like that's what the numbers were reporting. So things were really positive. People are attending more races despite the fact that It was unbelievably expensive to do so this year. It needs to be cheaper next year. But we had five winners for year-over-year growth. The Miami GP, the British GP, the Japanese GP, the Qatar GP, and the Brazil GP all had a year-over-year growth of over 10% in weekend attendance. That's bananas. Good for them. Yeah, it it also just doesn't feel like the narrative that... I feel like I'm just hearing tickets down everywhere. And like, especially for Miami that, you know, I feel like they try to right. pitch like Miami being the unsellable race. It seems. But selling. they had an 11% growth in attendance year over year. Um, I also want to point out that Qatar is on that list and they reported a 50% growth since the last time that race happened, which was 2021. So mm-hmm. they're, they didn't have a race last year, so it's not year-over-year growth. And I just think that's an interesting number to show not only is it growing year-over-year, but, like, you know, some context to, like, a, you know, basically pre- and post-drive-to-survive explosion. Yeah. Really in growth. see it legitimately. Category two of growth, I'm calling cool. Right. If I was looking at this report, I'd say, cool. And these are people who had over 5% growth, but didn't hit that 10% threshold. That's the Saudi Arabian GP, the Australian GP, and the Belgian GP. They all had 5 to 6% growth year over year, which is like, cool, yeah. positive. It's tier two. Yeah, cool. It's like, that's a great description. Tier three this year, I'm calling, you're not going to get a call from the shareholders. And these are people who had 2 to 5% growth. And that was the Spanish GP with 2%, the Canadian GP with 2%, and the Hungarian GP with nearly 5%, but it it was just there at 4%. So no one's going to call and complain, but it's not stellar. You're not raving to anyone about it. I think I broke Nicole. This is my favorite category just because of the name. I think it's so funny and it is so spot on. There's just something about that being that over 2% that's like, okay, it's fine. That's That's fine. 
So my next category is called basically a loss. So these are races that were above 0%. So they're above being flat, but they're below that 2% threshold. So no one's going to be happy about it. And that was Bahrain at 1.5%, the Austrian GP at 0.3%, and the Mexico City GP at 1.2%. So I know those people are getting a call from the shareholders. Oh, yeah. And these... it's. I feel like this category can also be dubbed as like a, oh, if someone slightly miscounted, this could have been seen as a, as an actual negative loss. It's like the, that margin of error just right. seems like it could be just enough. Um, Mexico really blows my mind here because I think even given the season that Checo had his fan base still like very much shows up. So I always feel like that race, again, it's still a positive trajectory, but I wonder if it wasn't as much of a positive growth just because you know, Checo wasn't necessarily as in the front and or competing at all with Max. I also think it sometimes is really hard with these numbers because we don't, we aren't really given what the capacity is. So Mexico was only up 1.2%, but they still had over 400,000 people. So maybe they didn't have that much more room to grow considering they had 395,000 people last year. You know, like there, there is that reality of this as well. Um, like, I don't know if the Austrian GP had the opportunity to go up by more than a thousand people, which was their reported increase. Yeah. That sounds like it could be like just an additional VIP spot that they just like, that could just be like another paddock club, something open that they sold tickets to. Cause right. yeah. Having the wiggle room of growth. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then my last category is oof. So we only had three reported races that had down attendance versus 2022. The first one is the Italian GP, and they were down 10% year over year, which equated to nearly 33,000 less people at the race. The Singapore GP was down 13% year over year with 38 thousand less people year over year and the usgp was down two percent year over year with eight thousand less people reported in attendance year over year so i will say the usgp was down but it's not nearly as no uh, significant as some of the other ones but probably still concerning especially because they got a sprint race specifically to help improve attendance um, but the italian gp i heard that race was a nightmare to attend so that one really doesn't shock me. I wonder how much of that 10% down is because people just didn't come back on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, I think I just can't get over the glaring irony of the narrative of like Red Bull dominance and this, that, and it's affecting ticket sales. And Singapore happens to be in the oof just of what <laughs> happened this year. It is the like, worst not that anyone was able to predict that but that is literally the biggest <laughs> drop in attendance and the one race that red bull didn't win is so funny from the universe and yeah usgp's down because sprint and we weren't there and that that's why and that's my reasons and that's what i'll yep. live with <laughs> Um, if you are listening very closely to everything I just said, you're probably confused why four races weren't mentioned. And this is my sure category. First off, Baku and Monaco just didn't report their attendance this year. Who knows what that means, but we don't have numbers for this year or last year. They don't tell anyone. And then the Dutch GP and Abu Dhabi GP 
reported the identical numbers year over year, which is why they're getting my sure award, because maybe that's their way of reporting a sellout year over year, but that means I don't trust your attendance figures because you're not actually telling me how many people attended, you're telling me how many tickets were sold, and those are different data points, yes. <laughs> essentially. I, they don't know. So they just sure, <laughs> exactly identical, okay. <laughs> Especially for those two races. Like, you really want me to believe that the Dutch GP saw absolutely zero fluctuation in anything? And it's, yeah, and Abu Dhabi, like, where we're rounding out the season? Nah, that's that's bananas. I'm just, just putting a little caveat there. I don't personally trust the numbers. That's all. Who knows? Uh, so some additional things I pulled here is I put together... How did all, we had five North American races this season, and I wanted to put in context which ones performed better and which ones performed worse. Uh, so all five American races had over a quarter million people in attendance over the course of the weekend. The lowest attended one is Miami at 270,000 people over the course of the weekend. The highest attended North American race is still CODA, despite them being down year over year with 432,000. Now, of course, some of this comes down to, again, capacity, how many tickets they can physically sell. CODA is a huge facility. They can sell a ton of general admission tickets, but it's still notable. Um, the average people attending a race weekend in North America is flat year over year at about 350,000. But with the addition of Vegas, of course, the total number of weekend attendance for the five races was nearly 1.8 million people um, for the five North American races. So just some fun, fun numbers. <laughs> that is super bananas. It's also really wild to see that the race with the largest, and again, Coda has capacity and it's the biggest. And I guess that you could also look at that as, okay, well, you have, you have the most space and you have, you know, historic ticket sales one year, a little bit of like drop it'll still be noticeable and then you have miami least number of attendance but most but the highest amount of growth is that big little fun flip-flop gosh i'm such a data nerd like you're just saying those words that i'm like yeah isn't that fun <laughs> data anomalies <laughs> So I also pulled Europe. So Europe's interesting because there were nine scheduled races for Europe. There were eight that actually happened because Imola was canceled. And because Monaco doesn't report on data, we had seven European races with weekend attendance data to look at. Uh, there was a total of 2.4 million people who attended those seven races for an average of 337,000 per race. Um, similarly, the largest uh, weekend attendance for a European race was the British GP at 480,000 people. So 50,000 more than the largest possible in the US or in the North American group I looked at. Um, and not only did the British GP have the most possible attendance by 100,000 people, by the way, the second closest was the Belgian GP at 380,000, but the British GP had a nearly 20% growth year over year. Basically, they sold a crap ton more tickets this year on purpose, <laughs> is what the British GP did. That's bananas. I My brain's also just chuckling at the fact that the average technically the average race in North America had a higher attendance 
than in Europe. So yes, and again, it's still like we're talking about British GP had nearly almost half a million people over the course of the weekend. But for the context of looking at you know North American interest, it's pretty sick. Yeah, or even like whether or not it's people who live in North America attending North American races, like it, they're at least drawing enough that people are willing to fly there and go there and are more willing to attend those North American races. Um, and that's with Miami being a temporary track, bringing that possibility down, Canada being a temporary track, bringing the space of that down, Vegas being a temporary track, bringing that capacity down, where everything on the reported list for Europe are all um, permanent tracks, which means technically they probably could be selling more and more general admission tickets than they are. So it's a... Uh, wild um the least attended european race of the season was the spanish gp at 284,000 people oh, so just a you know an interesting tidbit considering all the rumors that have been swirling about the madrid gp which by the time you all listen to this i wonder if we will know more about so to put a bow on f1 attendance for 2023 i have three podiums here to wrap this all up So we're going to start with the most attended races of the 2023 season. In P3, the USGP with 432,000 people over the course of the weekend. In P2, the Australian GP with 445,000 people who attended over the weekend. And in P1, is the British GP with 480,000 people. Wow. Bonkers. That difference. Now, I, I, I should have said this. <laughs> I'm realizing I should have said this up top, um, but when F1 reports weekend attendance, if you attend all three days, you count as three. So they just like sum up the three days, just as a caveat. All right, podium number two. The highest growth in percentage year over year. P3, the Brazil GP at 13%. P2, the British GP at 20%. And P1, the Qatar GP at 50%. Doubled their attendance since the last time the race happened. Yeah big asterisk but also it's like crazy to be able to see like skipping that showing like just that giant interest jump yep all right last podium of f1 attendance of the 2023 season the highest growth in number of people attending year over year p3 p3 the brazil gp there were thirty-one thousand more people year over year P2, the Qatar GP, there were 40,000 more people. And it was not even close. In P1, the British GP, 79,000 more people. People liked F1 this year and were willing to pay the crazy prices to go see it. But please bring the prices down. I want to go. Thank you. Hey, podcast listeners, Gossip Grid here, your guide to F1's paddock elites. 
Hello, everyone, to... I said the last Gossip Grid was, like, the biggest of the year because it was Vegas and it was, like, what the whole entire Gossip Grid thing was basically built for. But this is really going to be the biggest Gossip Grid of the year because this is the entire Formula One pop culture roundup for the F1 2023 season. I have gone through every single Gossip Grid that I have delivered this year and I have pulled out my favorite little tidbits, pieces of moments and everything that I felt was, like summing up the entire year. So this is where I step on my soapbox and give you the highlights and the best of the best. And where else could we start besides the filming of the Apple TV F1 movie continuously throughout the F1 season, numerous times on track. I feel like I could pitch this movie in my sleep. I don't even need my notes anymore. So Apple TV is producing an F1 movie and Lewis Hamilton is an executive producer. It is starring Brad Pitt and Damson Idris. There's a whole bunch of things going on in this. Lots of behind the scenes. Mercedes is very involved in adapting an F2 car that was brought to the British British Grand Prix. And we got to see it be running on track. This fictional team name is Apex GP with their very rich energy-ish livery. We have very little details about what the movie is about, what it is called, when it will be out, really kind of anything. The best piece of information that we received is one quote from Brad Pitt. And this is the summary of the movie. So, uh, Brad Pitt plays a guy in the who races in the 90s, gets in a horrible crash, craps out, disappears. Then he's racing in other disciplines. He's, his friend's a team owner, contacts him. They're in last place. There's 21, they're placed 21-22 on the grid. They've never scored a single point, but they have this young phenomenon played by Dameson Idris. And then they bring in Brad Pitt as kind of a Hail Mary and high drinks into. Tell you what's amazing about it. There are cameras mounted all over the cars. You've never even seen speed. You've never even seen G-forces like this. So Brad Pitt getting me really, really hyped. Hopefully they do. The movie lives up to a lot of high expectations and we can just ignore their fake pit stops in Monza. But very excited to see more of what comes out of this film. We're also getting a ton of other F1 content this year or was announced a Senna Netflix show was announced on Senna's 63rd birthday. Gabriel Leon will be playing Arjun Senna. He's a Brazilian actor, which of course is really big at being tied back to this unbelievable story. Senna's family is tied and tied to the story and producing it and contributing to the story and gave the okay, which is always really important for those types of things. It, as of right now, seems to be six episodes based on the life of Senna on and off track. And it's been announced in 2020. It's been really bums the word ever since, but we're getting a little bit of news here and there. All right. So now let's get to the track and we're talking about pop culture. What other race could we start with besides Monaco? Holy moly. It's always where you would be expecting to see celebrities on track, hanging out and, you know, just really enjoying everything Monte Carlo has to offer, especially the yachts. Talking about Monaco, we have to talk about Bad Bunny. Uh, so Bad Bunny was in Monaco this year. He had some crazy outfits. He did some fun bits with Checo, was spotted in the RB19, and basically was his entire visit to the grid in Monaco just a teaser for his album drop in October with his song Monaco, because that's kind of what it seems like to me. Also at Monaco this year, they had the entire cast of Gran Turismo. So this was before the SAG after strike and the writer's strike. So there was a lot more promoing at grid at the earlier in the season. So we were able to see David Harbour, Orlando Bloom, and um, Archie Medekwe and just attending on the grid. It's always really fun to see, especially motorsports associated movies, using F1 as a promotional space. Brad Pitt numerous races this year and of course he was at Monaco where he chose to premiere his Gardenier gin um, and there was an exclusive cocktail served and it's called the Monaco Rush 
Now switching over to Coda. Coda, Adam Driver was at the Ferrari garage. He did just finish playing Enzo Ferrari in the upcoming biopic. And he was hanging out with Charles and Carlos in the garage and also filmed potentially the most unbelievably epic intro for an F1 race. If you ever need to just like get your fix of F1 and get some goosebumps in the F- in the offseason, go check out Adam Driver's opening for the Austin GP, US GP Austin this year. You know what I'm talking about. Whew. So now let's get to Vegas. Vegas we could talk about a thousand times all over again. Highly recommend you go check out our Vegas wrap-up episode if you haven't already. The Netflix Cup happened. It was a thing that happened, and they'll probably do it again, and there was a lot of hijinks, and it had mixed reviews. But more importantly, Rihanna was at the grid. Rihanna, we've been waiting for her to come to F1, and she was finally at a race. Yes, she attended probably because ASAP Rocky was launching the new Puma F1 collection and that collaboration, blah, blah, blah. None of that matters. She was there. She looked stunning. She was with Ferrari. My only question is, why was she not at Mercedes? Terry Crews did a hot lap in Vegas with Liam Lawson, but the most important part, Liam Lawson knows he put on a thousand miles from Vanessa Carlton, and that still just makes me smile. Shaq is an icon. Shaq is giving me the best bit to ever live. With Martin Brundle, every single time he tries to interview Shaq, Shaq just responds, Lewis Hamilton, baby, and walks away. And that's all that really needs to be said. And it's right. Continue to do the bit. SC Bessie's helmet in Vegas. We called this out in June. A Deadpool helmet. As soon as Ryan Reynolds said that he was being an investor in Alpine, I started calling out and requesting SC Bestie get a helmet, meet Ryan Reynolds, and it happened. So will SC Bessie be in Deadpool 3? We'll have to find out this summer. Speaking of Alpine investors, holy moly, is everyone just throwing their cash at Alpine this year? Hopefully they'll get some kind of good intake with this and do something with it next year. Alpine welcomed many investors this year, but with some really popular standing out names, Rob McElhenney, Michael B. Jordan, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey, and Essie Bessie and Pierre were rocking uh, Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey jerseys at Coda, which was a lot of fun to see on social media. Also, just love any sort of football F1 crossover. Give me more of it, please. Back in May, there was the F1 royal wedding. What does that mean? Who got married? Why were so many people in an off weekend at this exact same place in Venice for this big wedding? So, who got married? Chloe Stroll. Who is that? Daughter of Lauren Stroll, sister of Lance Stroll. Who is she marrying? Scotty James. Who is Scotty James? An Australian snowboarder, a Red Bull athlete, and Danny Ricardo's BFF. That's how you have to know that all these people were in one place at the exact same time. Best part of this entire story that you just need to know, Lance introduced them to each other. And I think that's so cute. And if my feel of a, like a younger sibling that could basically hold over that they introduce you to your soulmate forever, shout out to Lance for that kind of energy. That's really fun. Super rewind back to February. Harry Styles did a shoey in Perth in Australia. Now, this was before a lot of things happened with Daniel Ricardo, and I thought Daniel Ricardo was going to have a lot more time on his hands this year, but he didn't. But this is me still calling out and wishing and manifesting. Can Harry Styles and Daniel Ricardo please meet? Finally, please. I need that picture. I need that content. You're fangirling over each other all the time. Now, give us what we want. So one of the biggest things that has been an ongoing trend, but really in the main zeitgeist this year over and over again that you've heard us talk about a lot, Motorcore. Motorcore is a fashion trend that is taking over the globe. F1 interest taking over is definitely spilling into fashion. We really started to see this take off, like I said, in 2022. Shout out TikTok for that. It was kind of like this Y2K rock glam combination. And with all of the different textures and leathers that you see in Motorcore, it was really great for people to be relying on this as a fallback in this new 
fashion trend. So your key pieces of motorcore, you have leather, bomber jackets, low-rise pants, lots of different racing jackets with big logos, usually sneakers, chunky types of things, minimal accessories. Think of things that you can find in a gas station is my favorite description of motorcore accessories. If you can walk into a 7-Eleven and find it there, it's probably a motorcore accessory. We saw all of these different items on the runways in New York Fashion Week and Paris Fashion Week. Diesel's Givenchy are really making big notices of different fabrics and leathers. Chanel had an entire cruise collection that had F1 cars and all of these types of motorsport and material and designs on it. Dua Lipa's entire Nostalgia World Tour. Rosalia's album cover, she is literally Moto Mommy. Like you're, it's on the nose, can't be more motorsport than that. Wrapping up towards the end of the F1 season, Vogue did an entire spread highlighting Motorcore and was posting on Instagram talking about how F1 has affected Motorcore and really it is the fall 2023 passion piece of how everyone is dressing. And my favorite part of it to advertise is they tap the link in the bio to discover all of these items and looks to help you channel your inner Lewis Hamilton because Lewis Hamilton is the fashion king of the pattern. Fashion Weeks happened this year. Drivers were at Fashion Weeks when they were not on the grid. Lewis was at the Louis Vuitton show. That was Pharrell's first show as a creative director. Joe was at the Dior shows. Of course, he is a Dior ambassador. Pierre was also there too, sometimes doing things and wearing outfits that, you know, Lewis wore a couple weeks before that. We don't have time to discuss all of Lewis Hamilton's fashions or Joe's or basically anybody else that decided to do something besides wearing a team kit in the paddock. So this is my moment where I'm going to say go to our Instagram. And while we're doing our 23 podiums of the 2023 season, you best believe that Brianna and I both gave you our favorite Lewis Hamilton fits and non-Lewis Hamilton fits. So not only will you be able to hear all of our favorites, you'll get to see them too. So go check that out. Now... There's always someone really fun and cool waving the checkered flag at the finish line. These are just some of my favorites. You had Justin Bieber in Vegas, you had Florence Pugh at the British GP, and you had Tom Holland in Monaco. Something near and dear to my heart, Jenna Marbles. I miss her so much and so dearly. How do I get my fix on missing Jenna Marbles? Julian Solomita, her husband, my favorite Twitch streamer, and he is starting to play Sims, and he named a baby Max Verstappen. And it's just very interesting to see Max Verstappen's always very unbelievably grumpy, but it's great to see that one of my favorite content creators is also an F1 fan and hearing him talk about that in different streams. I apologize to him because he is a Ferrari fan and ouch, this is like a full on choice, but I get it. He loves Carlos Sainz and like, look, so do I. And earlier this week, he was rocking Lewis, <laughs> Lewis's new merch from Vegas, commented in the chat, and I got a quick shout out. So really sick and also just great to see that he is a Lewis Hamilton fan. Now... Have to wrap up this pop culture roundup with just, you know, it's the era of eras. It is F1 goes Swifty. It is every single time that there's been some type of Swifty reference in this year. I don't know if you've heard of Time Person of the Year, Taylor Allison Swift. Yeah, she's kind of a big deal and it even has affected Formula One in such an unbelievable way. So the moments that really stuck out to me this year, Fernando Alonso. What am I talking about? Ah, he claims that Taylor Swift is in his top three artists on Spotify, and that's all I'll say there. Daniel Ricardo's favorite Taylor Swift song is our song, and gosh, he knows all of the words, and that was impressive to me and can, you know, solidifies why he's in my top. So many teams were doing some type of 1989 post, whether it was an album cover, whether it was using it as a track, whether they're using the just make sure you're using the right version. Alfa Romeo, I'm looking at you. Just, if you're going to do it, do it right, or else the Swifties will come for you. I've already talked about it, but it will be repeated again. Travis Kelsey, Jersey for SD Bestie. 
SD Bestie using Taylor Swift lyrics in any sort of Instagram caption, I couldn't process. I cannot do any of it. But the biggest, biggest overlap of all, Coda encouraging friendship bracelet making. Make the friendship bracelets. Take the moment and taste it. Friendship bracelets, Coda, mean a lot to me and Brianna. I have mine on from when we traded in Coda last year. Absolutely unbelievable. Really showing the power of the female dollar and just the influence of (laughs) Taylor Swift. Really affecting everywhere and everything. That is my unbelievable wrap-up. Oh my gosh, it's almost 13 minutes, which makes it really funny as a Taylor Swift Easter egg. And I can't believe I was able to narrow down any of this. Thank you so much for listening to me rammer about F1 and pop culture. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Absolutely enjoyed giving you Gossip Grid this year and can't wait till next year. And if you want a Gossip Grid fix in any way, at some point in this offseason on our YouTube channel, I'm stitching together every single Gossip Grid Nicole has done this season. So if you want more details about everything she just said or everything she had to leave on the cutting room floor for this master like list, there's going to be a master video for you to check out. And, you know, just put on in the background while you're, like, cleaning your kitchen or something. Click like first. Why is your face like that again? Okay. This is not on the Lewis Hamilton level, oh my uh, God. but front office sports just said that Nickelodeon is going to be getting an alternate broadcast for the upcoming for the Super Bowl, Super Bowl and it's with gonna... SpongeBob. And I SpongeBob and Patrick are hosting it. Oh my God! I can't believe I forgot to tell you this. If there was if that there was one point this week where I said to you there was something I needed to tell you and I completely forgot, it was this. Granito sent me this, and I was like, "Oh my God! This is my Super Bowl for the Super Bowl." I <laughs> genius. I need to hear SpongeBob and Patrick commentate everything. I am so hyped for this broadcast. Oh my goodness! I wow. Made for me. May- love it. Can't wait to watch it after. That's why I was freaking out. Because I was like, this is the most Nicole notification I've ever received. Yeah, put me in coach. That's, yeah, right up my alley. Talk about everything I would want in a broadcast. But again, I would have to watch it later because now it's... Are, would you be more curious. excited... If ESPN had the Super Bowl this year and we were getting a Toy Story alternate broadcast, like that one game where we got the Toy Story game, or the SpongeBob and Patrick are hosting the Super Bowl broadcast, which one are you more? Where would that rank? No, SpongeBob and Patrick hosting the Super Bowl is like a different level. Like that's, Mm -hmm. and there was also a lot of bugs to work out. And here's the thing like, I, I love alternative broadcasts. Super Bowl, I need to watch the main broadcast. Like, okay. Yeah. Like, we're not, we're serious here. We'll rewatch later if it's not like emotionally damaging to like, you know, get SpongeBob. But SpongeBob and Patrick covering that will, will be unbelievable. And because that's, they could be unhinged enough. Nickelodeon can be unhinged right. enough. In yeah. I'm going to be hyped to see all the like funny things that happen that get tossed around on social media. I definitely will be watching the main broadcast, but. I think it's really smart because the augmented reality stuff, to your point with the Toy Story, like had some bugs. Like I'm overall was incredibly impressed with oh, yeah. it. But it, the te- the tech feels like almost there. And if you're going to do something as big as a Super Bowl alternate broadcast, like it's so smart. They're probably going to bring in the voice actors and they're just going to commentate on the game. Like that's genius. Yeah. Um, the- it's such an easy way to do it. The Toy Story broadcast felt a little like Wii Sportsy in like the most 
yeah. kind whale of Wii Sports, you know, with that was the very crucial time of life. But yeah, um, this will be great. Again, love more broadcast. I love legitimate broadcast for younger generations so that it, to gain so much like learning about a sport is like so great and nice because I th- speaking as like female fans that really had to do a lot of the grunt work on your own to like learn how to understand things or like really being put into a place where you have to like ask questions and it can be really hard so having this place that is kid friendly to be learning about stuff like this and also you're gonna be at a Super Bowl party anyway and there's gonna like be kids and stuff like it's great you put them in a room put them them upstairs (laughs) (laughs) I yeah I mean I think about a lot that so many particularly women didn't have what I had where I could sit on a couch with my dad and I was just as included and he would explain everything to me. And it's one of my father's favorite things to do is to like explain weird nuances and answer my questions about football. And then like I grew up and I realized that like so many women were not included like that growing up and they weren't even given that opportunity or they were told not to ask questions. So they still have so many questions. So I think the more education-based feeds we can have for, like, any sports, which is why, like, like F1 Juniors was so great. And then, like, so it's it's so fun. Like, yeah. I just, I love seeing the No Fun League do fun things. I love seeing, like, stuck up F1, like, stick a bunch of kids in a booth and, like, have a broadcast that was sometimes better than the actual broadcast. And, yeah. like, there's just, more fun is always better. More teaching moments can always be better. Oh yes, Gosh, fun, Patrick. Ah, I hope they they're gonna be their own halftime performance. It's like the, when they should have actually <gasps> had SpongeBob at the halftime performance. There's, they should just play that episode. Oh my god, they if there's not a unique halftime show, I with SpongeBob will be so upset with the yeah. Bubble Bowl. It needs with the Bubble Bowl. I agree. <gasps> My childhood, right in my childhood. Oh Nickelodeon my has the opportunity to do the funniest thing ever. F1 made a lot of strides across the media board in their coverage of the sport. I think there were lots of upgrades made, whether it was in the way that news outlets covered it or the way F1 itself made changes to how they were broadcasting the sport. So we really want to highlight some of the ways that we think uh, the way we were all able to follow F1 this year made improvements year over year. Uh, and we're going to alternate, so just go back and forth with some of our favorite things. So I'm going to start out, I'm going to start out a little, uh, a little in my feels that I felt like 2023 was the year where discussing a fangirl's impact in F1's popularity became mainstream and normalized, almost to the point where I'm tired of reading op-eds discussing it, but I'm glad it's so normal that every outlet felt the need to talk about it this year. Yeah, it definitely felt like one of those moments of like, we've been knowing this, and uh, thank you for that, you all know, but it's that it's that like after effect of the Barbie movie and the Eras tour and like Renaissance and like all of these things of seeing the like power of the female fan dollar. And then like, finally now people be like, Oh, so like everyone was saying this about F1 and like, Oh, I guess it also happened here because we saw it everywhere else. So we could talk about it here now. Like, yeah, we, yes, but it's, we knew it. We've been knowing it. It's great to finally hear it recognized and hopefully we'll continue to get more content. 
from it, especially with like F1 Academy and such coming. So, but um, going into one of my favorite things of the year, F1 Juniors. We love different types of broadcast. We love broadcast for different types of people, different types of fans. And F1 creating an entire broadcast numerous times that is engaging for young fans is so great in terms of just like access. And then also we will we will like scream this from the high heavens forever. The earlier you get someone to be a fan and or customer, the longer they are a fan and or customer. So F1 creating and spending so much time and money and attention in a broadcast for a younger audience is so like demonstrating their investment in the future generations of fans. It was also so much fun and absolutely great. And I want all these graphics and I want a consistent F1 juniors broadcast all the time. 2024, hopefully. Yeah, I love that they went all in. They could have easily picked one of the things they did. Like they really heavily invested in these avatars. They created all new graphics. They brought in kid broadcasters. They had those same kids be involved in the press conferences and interviewing drivers and generating media early on. They could have easily picked one of those things and just tested that. Instead, they put all of it together to create such a great cohesive package designed every single step of the way for anyone to enjoy because i think you and i both ended up enjoying the juniors broadcast sometimes better than the regular feed especially because we can use multi-viewer to get everything else we want so like it was an all-in way of doing this that i just i appreciate when any type of investment is all in like that and it was so smart so smart to do all right speaking of broadcasting f1 tv's broadcast this year took such a step up year over year. For starters, now every session got a pre and post hit, while before you only got a pre-show and a post-show for the race and maybe qualifying. Even things like free practice, you had 10 minutes of Laura Winters and a rotating cast talking through like the biggest news and catching you up on what happened. And that's so valuable for people who are not crazy like you and I, and they don't consume every hour and every minute and every piece of news that F1 puts out. Uh, so having the pre-show hit, the post-show hit, they also did more calls to experts in studio. I will specifically call out Sam Collins and Bernie Collins were the stars of the F1 broadcast this season, in my opinion, like, and utilizing their experts throughout the show. I really just thought overall the F1 TV broadcast took such a leap in their production value this year. Oh yeah. Uh, and it's funny every time I would hear like, Oh, and now we'll cut to Sam Collins, Bernie Collins, anything like that. I felt my hundred percent, 10 to 10, like 10, 110% attention was like, okay, so now I suddenly really need to hear the breakdown of everything that's going on because it's when I suddenly still feel in the know and what I need to know for the weekend. Really great. I love seeing the expansion of content this year. Right at the start of the season, you could especially really see the amplitude of content on their YouTube channel and the different types of content being available. I feel like this year, race highlights and FP1 highlights and all of these different types of pre-show, post-shows were on the YouTube channel like as soon as they ended. And also F1 finding different ways like this new type of here's the race in 30 minutes type of content. Again, different types of fan consume races in different types of ways and not everyone sadly can sit and watch fp1 fp2 fp3 qualifying and then the race I, you know because that's the the highlight of every weekend for us but not everyone can do that and consume it that way so really great seeing this expansion 
and their content. Um, in outside of on track content, because I love my off track content, a big shout out. And I've been saying throughout the season, we love GQ sports. GQ sports has been spending so much attention and content at races, traveling around the globe, highlighting different drivers and giving on track and off track content and into the glimpse of their drivers lives. But particularly they have Super great interest in Lewis Hamilton, keeping the LH Army fed on the Lewis content that we're always looking at in terms of fashion, his branding, anything across the board. So GQ Sports gets like a crown of achievement in terms of like coverage F1 content for me this year. They felt like the magazine, I mean, magazines aren't really released anymore, but magazines in the traditional sense that decided to pay the most attention to F1 this year. And they really focused in on the fashion and they were able to, they were able to shine attention on F1 in a year where the on-track experience wasn't that exciting. I really felt like they showcased such a model and mold that other news outlets can use to talk about F1 year in and year out because F1 dominance on track is kind of implied. Like this is a more, well, it was an extra dominant year. Years like this are more common than years like 2021. So I love seeing GQ being able to lean into that and uh, kind of showcase how to cover F1 and all the things around F1 in a way that's still exciting, even if the race isn't. Similarly, talking about media coverage of F1, it was a really big deal that The Athletic decided to start a whole F1 desk and coverage this year. I believe they hired four people to specifically devote their attention to covering F1 this season. Well, it did feel a couple years late for the boom. I like to see anyone investing resources into covering this sport in America in particular. Yeah, I get was getting very excited this year of seeing any outlets that I would go to, to receive information about like my other sports. If I'm looking at, you know, stuff for football Mm -hmm. or hockey or any other sport. And then I'm also able to go to the exact same place and receive it in English and in, you know, covering everything that I need to. And it's not just an outlet. I felt like for a long time when it's like getting race preview coverage, it would be just talking about like gambling odds, which, you know, is like just not the way that you can cover an F1 race and receive information about an upcoming race preview. (laughs) So it was really cool to be seeing actual sporting outlets that I go to for other information be giving me like reporting information about Formula One because that makes it a lot easier and so much more fun for me. Again, more access. And speaking of access and speaking of broadcast, We were screaming about it for months when it first started and it kind of did seem a little bit sketchy and almost set up for failure at first because we didn't have this. F1 Academy getting full broadcast deal, being able to be showcased on YouTube. You know, it's we're finally going to we got to see a lot of it in Coda of what this entire series is going to be and how we're going to be able to see F1 Academy and F1 interact together. And having that access of being that broadcast is saying F1 Academy will only work if it's supported in the right way, if it's given the right platform, if it's given the right eyes. And it can only have fans if you have a way for the fans to watch that. So the beginning seemed a little bit rushed. And I think we're going to put this a tie a bow on it that it was trying to replace the W series in that way. And we got F1 Academy a little bit earlier than we should. I think it was in hindsight's 2020, great to get the bugs, you know, worked out. Going into next season, 
seeing everything that will be happening with F1 and F1 Academy together. I'm hyped to be able to be watching the races live moving forward because watching it, you know, as great as it was to be able to receive any F1 Academy content at all, watching anything on a delay drives me crazy because I can just get the results from Twitter. So <laughs> excited for next year that we're going to be getting that live, but really, really happy that any of it happened this year. Yeah, I, in hindsight as well, like hindsight's 2020, I'm very impressed with how F1 has been able to build out the F1 Academy over this year. And I'm very excited for the deal they have struck and the plans they have for covering it in 2024. It becoming an official support series for F1. All of their races will be at F1 weekends. You know, we will be able to watch all of them live. I'm with you. Like sports need to be consumed live and it's, it's shaping up for a great 2024 for F1 Academy. My final item that I think to highlight the way F1 was covered this year is I would describe a lot of this year is there was a willingness for big swings, whether or not they worked out. The drone tests that F1 did were not uh, loved, but I love that they were willing to test it out. And then they actually came back later in the season and they were better. And they're, willing to make big swings to improve our viewing of the race. Um, I don't know how much of a big swing it is, but Monaco was actually broadcast by F1, and it was an incredibly positive big swing. Uh, ESPN tried to do a Manning cast for F1, and I think it was a really big swing, and it didn't quite work this year, but they were willing to do that big swing. So there was so much that happened that showed that F1 and their partners were willing to try new things this year. And I loved every moment, whether it worked out or not. And I hope they continue with that energy going into next year. Um, oh, I'll, one, one other big swing is we saw towards the end of the season, they upgraded the cameras that were on the cars. So we could actually see the camber at certain races of like the angles that cars were going or better st stable cams in uh, driver's helmet. So there were so many upgrades, so many big swings that are all just there to improve our viewing capability of the sport. Yeah, I remember being so excited for upgrades at Monaco of that viewing experience as two people that already really enjoy Monaco. It was incredible to be able to see cars coming out of the tunnel and it not be like exposure <laughs> and it's back like just things like that and being able to see oh there is a pool i know there's a pool but now i see the pool and they're not just talking about it and there's just referencing it so many things were great the onboard like camera swap and everything drastically already changed my race viewing experience so there's Again, more different ways to view improvements. Big swings is huge. And they have to be willing to take those big swings to see if it makes it work. I think the Daniel Ricardo getting his seat is a great way to be like, okay, now is not the time for us to solve this Manning cast attempted fiasco and ordeal. And that's great because he should now just be on the grid and not over there. But we don't have to deal with that now. It's great. I'm really excited to, and ho for hopefully more big swings in 2024 because I think most of these big swings were a really solid hit and there can only just be more if they just keep trying. I feel like this was the year of people panicking that interest in F1 has to be down. Like everything is awful, interest is down. I feel like I read a headline that said something along those lines every other day. It was just so much, oh my gosh, everyone now like no longer likes F1 as much as they did. 
And I feel like I can't quite find a lot of data that shows that. Yeah, seeing nothing that really supports that. Uh, kind of only feeling the opposite, but everyone was telling us one thing and blaming Red Bull for it and stuff. So um, don't know where and why. Hey, like and I'm just... team blaming Red Bull for things. This is just one I can't blame them for. Just can't figure out why. <laughs> right. right. I'm like, like, hey, let's let's blame Red Bull for like the things they actually do wrong. But like, this isn't quite one of them. I don't think they're ruining the sport. You know, the sport that dominance is always a thing. But that that will be the end of my defending Red Bull for the rest of the year. And we're not going to talk about it anymore this segment. But I thought it would be interesting to look at F1 interest in America in particular as it compares to NASCAR. So the caveat to all of this is the numbers that are here are actually unimportant. Um, they're all just relative numbers. Google search interest tells you how much people are searching for a topic. So the red line on the graph, if you're looking at YouTube, is how much people are searching for F1. And then the blue line is how much people are searching for NASCAR and relative to each other from 2014 to 2023. The fascinating thing is the trend of NASCAR from 2014 to 2023 is completely flat. And you'll see that from 2020 to 2021, there was a spike in searching for F1. And then that spike has actually continued in 22 and 23. There are more people searching on Google for F1 related topics year over year in America uh, since 2021. And these are actually the first two years where searches have surpassed NASCAR. Huh. I'm really surprised at that the surpass didn't happen in 2021 i mean obviously it got really close but it just feels like if there was ever if there was going to we continuously see just like an overall peak in 2021 for these types of things so it just isn't as drastic as i expected but also nat but this speaks to nascar's popularity in america and in the you know in you in the u.s and just kind of being able to see that shift yeah, uh, 2022 gets the early season bump that there's new regulations that people are Googling a lot for. The real F1 peak tends to be, like for a lot of these graphs, like October, November of 2021 through like May of 2022, um, where it's like people still rightfully very upset about 2021 plus the new regulations in 2022. I was just incredibly impressed that 2023 maintained more search is than NASCAR. Uh, like this, there hasn't been so much of a dip. Now, uh, the normal caveats, we're looking at one selection of data points. There are so many other ways to cut up data points and uh, things to look at. And generally across the board, like things are, can be seen as down now versus 2021, but consistently 22 and 23 are definitely still up versus anything before 2021. Whether or not there is a dip, the dip hasn't put F1 back to where it was pre-Drive to Survive era, essentially, of the sport. So putting some percent changes to this, F1 search index is up 10% year over year, um, and NASCAR was up 8% year over year. So the growth increase from 22 to 23 for both sports is about the same. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 actually if interesting I compare... to me that there's any sort, I guess, 
that I feel like there's so much like NASCAR is already so high that I wouldn't expect there to be much room for them to grow. So like it being over like a 5% space, I find just very surprising just because I feel like it's so huge that again, there's like a ceiling space. That is incredibly insightful. Hold that thought for half a second. Because I'm going to give you one more percent change, and then I'm going to reference exactly what you just said. So I also compared the 2023 numbers to 2019. NASCAR versus 2019 is up 11%. F1 is up 161%. So just to show you the like spike F1 did pandemic and on versus NASCAR remaining relatively flat since the pre-pandemic age. Wow, that's, All right. I mean, right, it's huge. So you're like, wow, NASCAR is huge. They don't have a lot of room to grow. And while NASCAR is big, it is still a small sport in F1 in American sports zeitgeist overall. While it is the largest motorsport in America, they this year they averaged on network television 2.86 million viewers per race on average. That viewership is slightly down from last year where they averaged about 3 million viewers, but they're normally somewhere between 2.5 and 3 million viewers. F1 on ESPN, ESPN2, ABC, depending on where it is, they averaged this year 1.2 million, which is a record-setting year. But despite search interest being up so much and putting F1 on par, when it comes to cable television viewing, they're still significantly behind NASCAR. And you're probably sitting there going, Brianna, you said you're going to talk about NASCAR not having room to grow. Well, this is where we compare things to the NFL. Well, the lowest viewed nationally broadcast NFL game of the season so far were the international NFL games that broadcast actually conveniently at normal F1 European race times in the morning. The caveat to this is they are broadcast on NFL Network, which I wouldn't call a cable access uh, channel, but they average somewhere between four and six million viewers. Then if you expand that to, okay, let's remove the international games and like only NFL games are broadcast at like normal NFL game times. The nationally televised game with the lowest viewership is uh, the Monday Night Football Week 2 New Orleans Saints versus the Carolina Panthers. And it was 7 million viewers. And then if you look like beyond that, like Amazon games tend to have somewhere between eight and 11 million viewers. The Friday game that they did, which was like at an off time, got 9 million viewers. Most nationally televised NFL games are really somewhere between 15 and 30 million viewers. So NASCAR has a lot of room to grow. F1 has a lot of room to grow in Americans' appetite for watching live sports. But NASCAR is just a good uh, measuring stick for uh, motorsports. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I guess anything compared to the NFL is going to be like, yeah, the tiny little influence, but yeah, I guess I, yeah. I, in the context, definitely I anticipated NASCAR, like having a bigger piece of the pie, but of course, no. And it looks like, you know, F1's coming for that piece of the pie. An interesting thing about comparing to NASCAR. And while I do think it's the best comparison we have is NASCAR and F1 have very different audiences. 
F1 is essentially motorsports for coastal cities, for major population centers. It is huge in uh, the Pacific Northwest, in California, in New York, and the tri-state area, in Miami, and in, you know, where CODA is, in like Austin. Um, I pulled a graph here that you can get via Google Trends that compares whether each state, uh, whether each metro area in the U.S. likes F1 or NASCAR more. And you'll see that all the blue, for the most part, is in like major population centers in coastal cities. And most of the interest for NASCAR comes in, you know, the South and the Midwest and more rural areas. So while in this podcast, we're going to keep comparing F1 to NASCAR because it's the biggest motorsport in America. I don't think they're the same target demographic at all. Uh, and they're really not competitors with each other. But it's still interesting to see F1 in different areas start to surpass uh, size with NASCAR. So there's no better way for us to wrap up our season wrap-ups than doing wrap-up podiums for our favorite marketing and sponsorship partnership moments of the year. It is one of our favorite parts of any like athletic anything, any brand anything, is drivers, teams getting involved with different companies and different partnerships in that way. It is one of our favorite parts of this. So it's only correct and right that we wrap up this way. So... I will kick off our last podium of the year. So my P3 partnership sponsorships marketing moments of the year, ASAP Rocky joining the Puma collection. Good choice. It, it was, you know, there's so many different fashion moments. I think it's a really great pick. I think it's really exciting to see where Puma has been going with this collection and growing it and expanding it slowly throughout the year. And, kind of ending on this high note with ASAP coming in, it's going to be exciting. And it also means more Rihanna. So I'm very excited to see where the line develops. It really feels like Puma is making a very conscious choice to target like this specific audience that are fans of F1. And I think it is a relatively underserved audience that like overlaps with ASAP Rocky's audience. And so I'm excited to see everything they do in 2024, but the kickoff they did at Vegas for like for everything that's to come was perfection. I also went a Vegas direction for my P3. My P3 favorite sponsorship partnership collab that- Sorry. <laughs> I hit it fast. No, that's okay. I was like, wait, I didn't say it yet. I know, sorry. <laughs> I'm so excited. Okay, your well, my, P3. <laughs> my P3 is everything that happened with the spear. And this means that like every car brand that like decided to put an ad up there, Paramount being really smart and creating a meme out of the SpongeBob, like putting the F1 graphics themselves up on the spear, F1 utilized the spear in such a fantastic, perfect way. 10 out of 10, no notes, deserving of a podium place. hundred percent. I, the sphere lived up to all of my expectations and more. They did everything that I wanted to and things that I never even thought of. Super shout out to Paramount Plus. Love having the like F1 graphics on there. Great use of it. And uh, one day we'll see it in person. <laughs> now going into P2. It's getting harder and harder. I could not leave this off my podium because it was one of my favorite things all year. 
but it is Alex Albon and CeraVe skincare. Yes. Alex Albon. I can't believe I left that off my podium. I was convinced we were both going to have this on our podium. Alex Albon being a skincare king. Also, it's the perfect examples of everything that I love that we love about his social media content is the silliness and leaning into it and not afraid of being a meme. And also men and skincare. He's just washing his face. It is the same face wash that I use. I feel seen. It feels great. Oh my goodness, I love this pairing. The day and age of skincare is here where everyone cares. So it's great to see like a driver recognizing that and taking advantage of that trend right now. I knew in creating this podium, whatever was on your podium, I was going to sit here and be like, I can't believe I forgot that that happened. Like I told you pre-show, I was like, I have a podium. I really like the podium, but there's things I definitely forgot. And that feels like one of those things that I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's not on my podium. But I don't know what I would take off my podium to put that on my podium. <laughs> okay. But my P2 was also Williams related. And it was everything they did for the golf livery. <sighs> so everything from when... We knew there was an announcement coming at the start of the season that golf was partnering with a team. And then we found out that the team was Williams and we were like, Oh, are we going to get the livery for the full season? And we didn't, but then they immediately capitalized on that hype to announce a fan vote where we all got to decide what the golf livery was. Then they ran it for multiple races at the end of the season. I like everything that leans into like historic nostalgia with motorsports. So the fact that you can have that golf livery that like gives you that nostalgic feel and those vibes, but also the way they constructed the campaign around fan engagement, all 10 out of 10, no notes. Yeah. I mean, my only notes is you, they didn't pick the livery that I wanted or you wanted, but the fact that we still Same. love this absolutely so much and it wasn't the livery that you or I wanted at all. Great idea. I love this partnership. I was very like, huh, they're leaving McLaren. This is interesting. And just such a historic presence in motorsports. And Williams was such a great move for them. Love the pairing. Can't wait to see next year's livery and what they decide to do. And my P1. Oh, you have, oh, you're frozen. Okay, you're back. My P1. Partnership, marketing, collaborations, all of the things. It's Lewis Hamilton and Fortnite. It's Lewis Hamilton. Nothing else. It's so perfect. It's beautiful. I was shook to my core. I've never had a desire to play Fortnite in my entire life. Now I suddenly really want to play Fortnite. Roscoe Hamilton is in Fortnite. This is unbelievable. And of course, his skin is sick. It's a call. It's a Black Panther. It's everything that I like and more. I Yeah. Uh, incredible. Loved it. I, yeah. No. Deserving P1. I still don't have a desire to play Fortnite, which is probably why it's not my P1, but I love Lewis Hamilton's dedication to including Roscoe in everything possible, and I hope he never stops it. My P1 sponsorship marketing moment of the season was Duracell's Austin hat activation. In case you missed it, Duracell showed up to the USGP, but downtown Austin with a giant truck of foam cowboy hats with the um, Duracell airbox that's at the top of the Williams car that you could just like show up and get one. It was such a great fan interaction activation. The Duracell airbox is one of my favorite livery items on any single car. It probably is my favorite. So the fact that people were getting cowboy hats with it, it was perfect team 
brand fan integration p1 of the season for me yeah i i can't believe duracell's not on my podium so there you go you got me <laughs> right back i couldn't even, i i forgot i couldn't duracell's great it is one of my favorite sponsors in formula one everything they do with williams is incredible those hats i was already so unbelievably annoyed to not be in austin and that is like the cherry on top of it all was those hats because i would be wearing it right now if i owned one (laughs) and i think if it's not evident by our podiums like alex alban plus williams were the team driver marketing sponsorship team of the year in my opinion they utilized their brand activations better than anyone I've seen. I think part of the reason we feel like they had such a positive year is because they did such a great job being present for fans in a way that's really fun with all their partners. And we didn't even talk enough in our season wrap up, actually, if at all, about the fact that they still did fan zones at so many races this year, which was one of the best parts of attending Coda for us last year. Like, I think... It's Williams and Alex Albon and Lewis Hamilton. We're like the champions of marketing and partnerships this year. Oh, definitely. Without a doubt. Did you have any honorable mentions? I have two quick honorable I do have mentions. One. I have two. So I, do, do, you go I'll first. Be, I'll go first. Okay. It's so my first honorable mention. I mean, it's so perfect pairing and I just love the reasoning behind it. Joe being selected as a Lululemon brand ambassador just unbelievable and it was really strategic because lululemon is trying to really grow their chinese market and their like vice president of branding released all these wonderful quotes about how they're really aligned with joe and he represents so much that the brand also represents and in the world of athleisure and in the f1 fashion prints it's great to see him kind of in any sort of spread and for lululemon a brand that i also love and endorse my honorable mention is google chrome being on the ferris wheel at the british gp Um, It is product placement at the key. The number of times that that Ferris wheel was behind a shot, whether it was like during a pre-show, a post-show, the podium, the like a shot on track. Like I saw that Ferris wheel with the giant Chrome logo on it so many times. It was great product placement. It was perfect product placement. It's one of those things the Chrome logo can fit on so many things, but what else? What's more perfect than it being on a Ferris wheel. It's like exactly just the perfect placement for it. And my anti, like if we were doing an opposite podium, by the way, of like my least favorite activations though, was the fact that McLaren tried to pretend like they were bringing back a Chrome livery as a callback to like when they were Chrome when like Lewis Hamilton was driving. But in reality, it was just, they matched it with the papaya color and it was just a bad Google Chrome placement that that was my least favorite but putting chrome on the ferris wheel good job landon norris's helmet good job that car still pisses me off yeah no it didn't make sense i was like what no that no no no, it didn't work so what you're trying to do and missed missed the mark um (laughs) what's your last honorable mention last honorable mention and because i had wanted this i and i just kind of hope it's a sponsorship that continues into next year is the gunther steiner burrito at chipotle brown rice black beans braised beef barbacoa fajita veggie sour cream and guac 
Thank you so much to our voiceover man, to Lewis Hamilton for liking our Instagram post. We're never going to get over this and we will like be yelling about it for months and months and years to come. And thank you to our four legged executive producers. Again, this is one of our three season reviews of the F1 2023 season. So once you finish listening to this one, make sure you go catch the other two. If you haven't listened to them already, if you are watching on YouTube, sound off in the comments, your favorite moment from the F1 2023 season, what things surprised you what things did you completely expect and what are you hyped for in 2024 anything like that we're really really curious of what you're thinking and where your vibes are at the end of this season so subscribe like the video interact in whatever way you can audio listeners don't forget to follow turn on auto downloads rate and review the pod all of these things make us incredibly happy and really help other wonderful people just like yourself find our podcast you can join us for daily gridwalks on all social media platforms you can follow us at gridwalk show on instagram tiktok twitter and threads we are doing 23 podiums to wrap up the f1 2023 season so if you haven't got enough f1 2023 season wrap-up content from us check out our socials for all of our podiums that you have you can check out and see of our favorite things of the entire year and we will be back to walk the formula one grid every thursday including in the off season and we sincerely hope you join us but this is all feeling like a big grid wrap up and not a grid walk